Hi. Welcome back, everybody. Welcome back. My name's Bailey. And I'm Oliver. And this is Survivor Survivor Team Go! Welcome back, Survivors. We just recorded this whole podcast, and then it crashed. Stupid garage band. Stupid USB mic. That's a bit of an exaggeration. It wasn't maybe the whole podcast, but... It was half an hour of material. Yeah. Or more. It was like maybe half an hour, yeah. Well, say la vie. Mercury's in retrograde in Aries. Mercury controls communication. Yeah, so this is our fault for recording a podcast during a Mercury retrograde. We should have just taken the week off. But Mercury is like almost like just in retrograde so much. It's just in retrograde like all the time. There's actually a website that says is Mercury in retrograde dot com. Don't tell them what it does. <laughs> just go to www.ismercuryinretrograde.com. You won't regret it. Or it might be underwhelming. I don't know. Um how are you doing this week, Oliver? I'm doing, uh, I'm doing okay. I got some work done today. My week was terrible. Tell me. Tell me about it. It was really bad. I'm so sorry. Thank you. We're still getting evicted. Yeah. But we do have a lawyer now. That's true. So that's good. I'd forgotten about that briefly. Thanks, St. Louis Volunteer Lawyers and Accountants for the Arts. We really appreciate you. We appreciate you and your pro bono legal well, services, legal and accounting services for artists in the St. Louis metropolitan area. What a disaster! It's fine. It'll, It'll be, be fine. fine. It'll be fine. It's just it's very whatever. Ridiculously unfair. It's, I mean, anyway. So that's that. Weekly check-in. Or bi-weekly. Bi-weekly check-in. We're bi-weekly. We're a bi-weekly podcast. Did you want to make a joke about us being a bi-weekly podcast? I I don't know how to make it work. Something about how we can't commit to (laughs) weekly or something, which is kind of playing into bad bisexual stereotypes, but we're both bi. Oh, something like bi-weekly, bisexuals. Yeah. Bilingual. We're not. We're not bilingual. We're not bilingual. Ich spreche Deutsch. Ein sehr bisschen. No, uh, I don't. I don't. I don't speak that. Je parle français un peu. I didn't ask you if you spoke German. I said I speak German. I I know. I just I used to know how to say I speak German a little, but I which you just said, but I don't. Sprechst du Deutsch? Sprechst du Deutsch? Nein. No, I'm Spanish. Ich auch. This is this is an English language podcast. Ridiculous bullshit. We can only speak American, the language of conquest, <laughs> the language of victory. Oh dear. The language of freedom. Oh dear. American. America. That's our mega hats voices. Anyway, what are we doing this week, Oliver? What are we talking about? This is a news and updates episode, listeners. It's the Friday news roundup. NPR send up head reference. Something. I made that joke earlier when we had recorded before. I was helping. I was trying to help. It was funny. <laughs> it was funny. But Oliver is like ruining it now because yeah. he already heard it. <sighs> Sorry about that. Anyway, so we have lots of sad, depressing, horrible things to tell you guys about in the, the survivor community. Are you excited, listeners? Are you excited for some survivor team go survivor news updates? I sure am. Ick out. <laughs> what are we talking about today? Uh, Eric Greitens, Bill Cosby, and Juno Diaz. That's an interesting mix. <laughs> I don't know if we should say it all in a list, like very tidily like that. <laughs> yeah, I, was, I thought you would maybe not just list their names. Um, we were talking about Missouri Governor. We're going to give you guys an update on the legal troubles of Missouri Governor Eric Greitens and his ongoing uh, sex scandal. Legal troubles just like us. Yeah, exactly. It's the exact same situation. Uh, And then we're going to talk to you guys about the uh, recent events in the Bill Cosby retrial and Andrea Konstad's testimony that she gave today. 
today being Friday the 13th. Friday the 13th. For us. For you, it's Monday. Yeah, so. Probably. I don't know. It'll be later. Probably for you. Monday. But still, still relevant. Still a contemporary survivor news. And then uh, we are also going to take a long, we're going to do a, an in-depth discussion of Juno Diaz's article for the New Yorker in which he disclosed his childhood sexual abuse. The name of that article is... The Silence, The Legacy of Childhood Trauma. I never got any help, any kind of therapy. I never told anyone. So we're going to talk about that and our feelings about that. We're going to have an honest discussion. Yep. As fellow uh, survivors. Yeah. Oliver, what are you a survivor of? I am a survivor of uh, child abuse, mostly psychological, uh, and rape separately, probably, mostly. I'm a survivor of childhood sexual abuse and physical abuse and emotional abuse and, you know, everything that goes along with your dad raping you in your two. If you would like to hear more about our terrible lives, see episode one. We were going to start doing that at the beginning, and then instead we talked about our eviction. I think it's okay to do a check-in. I think maybe we should do it at the end, even. I what, don't know. The, the survivor thing? Like, what we're survivor I don't know. Of? I just want... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be honest about my feelings about Juno Diaz's article, and I want people to know that it is coming from a person who was also a survivor of childhood sexual abuse. That's... I don't want people to think that I'm, like, coming fair. at Juno that's with, fair. like, just some bullshit, like, white wait, bitch privilege. wait. So Which I am, com- I am ma- coming at him with some bullshit white bitch privilege, but it is also as a fellow survivor of childhood sexual abuse. And and we, this sounds kind of like we hated the article or something. No. Which we didn't. No. We loved it. We it loved was it. It's really heartbreaking and beautiful. Like, we just, we'll talk about it. We're also gonna, we're gonna talk about the parts that we loved. And the parts we didn't love. And the love. parts that were moving. I mean, I was literally, I was crying. I was like, you're speaking to me. But then there were some parts that I didn't love. Yeah. And I think that we need to just look at everything. Yeah. Because no man is ever going to be good enough for me. <laughs> That's not true. Pro- I mean, it might be true, but I'm sorry. I try. I know. It's been hard. It's been hard out here, you guys. Been a lot of bad men. Yeah. In my life. Whatever. Oliver, what do you know about the sexual misconduct allegations against Missouri Governor Eric Greitens? Well, what I had sort of heard was that a while ago he had was dating like his hairdresser like he was married and she was married and they were like going out or something which I've since learned is a little bit inaccurate um and that he then that and there might have been some sort of BDSM elements to their relationship and then he tied her up blindfolded her and took a picture of her and she wasn't happy about that and begged him to delete it and he said that he did but it bef- not before but before that he threatened to blackmail her with it and uh, that the only reason we even know about this is because her um, during divorce proceedings or something you know, for divorce proceedings, her then husband recorded her secretly telling, confiding uh, all of this stuff in uh, about uh, Eric Greitens and the uh, supposed affair. Uh, it doesn't really sound like an affair to me. Uh, it sounds like an affair implies that, you know, that there was consent involved and that um, both parties had some responsibility for it, which it sounds inaccurate from what I have now heard. That's a great summary, Oliver. I'm just going to clarify a few points um, that I feel like have been glossed over in a lot of the reporting and a lot of people's casual understandings of the Eric Greitens situation, which, like many rapists, his actions have been kind of, you know, tinted with rose-colored glasses and made to sound just not quite as bad as they were. So let's look at, let's look at the cold hard facts. Um, And I'm going to be using some quotes from a New York Times article by Julie Bozeman and Monica Davey posted on their website today, April 13th. Missouri Governor Eric Greitens, his affair, and the chaos that followed. 
So Eric Greitens, 44, is a first-term governor who swept into office just over a year ago as a political outsider with a background fellow Republicans gushed about. I do want to say that he started his political career as a Democrat, and then he turned, he ran as a Republican. He turned on us. Yeah, well, he was fucking, fuck Democrats, too. I mean, let's be real. I'm a, I'm a Democrat because you don't have a choice, but Bill Clinton is also a rapist. They're all rapists. They're all rapists, Oliver. We really love Hillary Clinton, but our biggest problem with her is that she protected uh, Bill Clinton when he, like, was, you know, because he raped um, a woman when he was, like, a governor of Missouri, or of uh, Arkansas and other... He was also associated with Jeffrey Epstein, which I'm going to say, yes, he was on the sex island, on Orgy Island. disgusting. I'm going to deal... Jeffrey Epstein's going to get his own episode. I've been doing some research. We're going to have an episode where we talk about Trump, and we're going to have an episode where we talk about Jeffrey Epstein, and they they overlap. Mm-hmm. But so does uh, Prince Andrew. Was it some of the Jeffrey Epstein sex parties? Just a whole bunch of people that you are like, oh, I didn't know you were a... I didn't know pedophile. you were a pedophile. Yeah, that's nice to know. I didn't necessarily think you were a good person, but I didn't know you were a I pedophile. I didn't know you were a pedophile. We're we'll talk about it at a later date. Too complex for today. Anyway, where was I? Oh, so Greitens is a decorated Navy SEAL. He served tours in Afghanistan and Iraq, a Rhodes Scholar, a Bronze Star recipient. He's a married father of two. When he got elected as the governor, there was a lot of speculation that he was using it as a launch pad to become like a, like a Missouri senator mm. and try to get like into the White House kind of deal. He's pretty young. 44 for a politician. So his, the problems began, I guess, for him in January of this year when a St. Louis television station broadcast an audio recording that it had obtained from the ex-husband of a woman who had several sexual encounters, quote-unquote, with Mr. Greitens over a matter of months in 2015. The woman's then-husband had secretly recorded her discussing the sexual encounters and making an explosive accusation that Mr. Greitens had taken a nude or semi-nude photograph of her without her permission and had threatened to make the image public if she told anyone about him. In February, prosecutors charged Eric Greitens with invasion of privacy, a felony in Missouri, in connection with the photograph. The woman who refused to press charges against Greitens had to be subpoenaed to testify under oath before a state legislative committee investigating the governor. So... Hmm. It's, it's sad. All right, so let's talk about what her account, and she's never, she's like still anonymous, so uh, we don't know her name, but she was Eric Greitens hairdresser for a number of years, so he was a customer in her hair salon in 2013, and then in 2015, he grabbed her crotch during an appointment and then invited her to his home when his wife was away. Because that's such an, like, a, just a... Just a sexy invite. A, just, just a really Such charming. a turn on. You're cutting a guy's hair, and he just, at, while you're at work, just grabs you by the crotch. And then he invites you over, and you're oh, like... wait, that sounds that familiar. Sounds really that sounds like a familiar move. Grab him by the pussy? Is that... That's going around, right? Yeah. I hear that's in now. So, according to this, the Associated Press, um, after she arrived through the back door, this is after he invited her to his house in 2015... The woman testified, Greitens searched her purse and, quote, patted her down from head to toe, end quote. He then asked if she had exercised and had her change into a white T-shirt with a slit on the top and pajama pants. Quote, I thought, oh, this is going to be some sort of sexy workout, end quote, the woman testified. But once in his basement, Greitens taped her hands to pull-up rings, blindfolded her, started kissing her, ripped open the shirt, and pulled down her pants, the woman testified. She didn't give consent to be disrobed or kissed, the report said. The woman testified that she then heard a click, like of a cell phone picture, and saw a flash. The woman testified that Greitens told her, quote, don't even mention my name to anybody at all, because if you do, I'm going to take these pictures and I'm going to put them everywhere I can. They are going to be everywhere, and then everyone will know what a little whore you are, end quote. After telling Greitens, quote, I don't want this, end quote, the woman testified that Greitens unbound her hands. She said she started uncontrollably crying. She said Greitens then grabbed her in a hug and laid her down. She said he put his penis near her face and she gave him oral sex. Asked by the committee whether the oral sex was coerced, she responded, coerced, maybe. I felt as though that would allow me to leave. Yeah. 
The woman testified that she had several more sexual encounters with Greitens that turned violent, including one in 2015 when she says he slapped her in the face for sleeping with her husband. During another encounter, she said, quote, out of nowhere, just like kind of smacked me and grabbed me and shoved me down on the ground and I was instantly just bawling, end quote. The allegedly abusive sexual relationship became public years later after the woman confessed to her husband at the time she had an affair with Greitens. The couple later divorced, and her then-husband said he was going to get this guy one day. Two years later, he leaked the audio tape to the media. A lot of people who have said things like that mean because somebody, because this guy, you know, trespass on their property kind of a thing. Yeah, like she's his property. We don't know. We don't know. We We don't don't know know about that. We don't know. What we do know is that Eric Greitens is a rapist. He's not just a creep with a like a fucking basement dungeon, BDSM dungeon, who like just in order to live out his like Neanderthal fantasy of ripping a woman's shirt off, like goes out and pre-cuts a hole in the shirt so he can rip the fabric easier. Pathetic. Pathetic among other things. Very creepy. I mean, fucking skis ball. Yeah. And he made her ashamed enough that she didn't want to testify against him. Yeah, she had to be subpoenaed to testify. And she still won't give any interviews or she doesn't want her name revealed. It's terrible. She's ashamed. It's a hard thing to go through. Like, I mean, anybody who's ever been raped or abused knows about the shame. You, You... even if you don't think it's your fault, there's still that just crushing shame. I mean, it's like the difference between like thinking something in your brain and like knowing something. Yeah. And you know that it's your fault. <laughs> yeah. Even though it's not. It's not your fault. Listen, you guys. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. I get the knowing, but it's not your fault. It's not your fault. Hey, guess what? It's not your fault. Anyway, so uh, that is the Eric Greitens situation and like Claire McCaskill... Uh, and all the, the senator from Missouri, the senator, the Democratic senator from the state of Missouri, and like basically everyone in Jeff City, which is the capital, Jefferson City. Yeah, Jefferson City. Uh, they. This is a Missouri-based podcast. This is a St. Louis-based podcast. It's Jeff City. Yeah, we're from St. Louis, and we hated Eric Greitens before when we didn't know he was a rapist, and we hate him even more now. Yeah. He's been destroying labor laws. And he single-handedly turned Missouri from, like, a purple state to a red right-to-work state. Yeah. Thank you, redistricting. I mean, that wasn't Eric Greitens alone, but still. He was a big force in that. He's an asshole. And in May, May 16th, I think, he's going to be indicted. And Good. They're going to fucking, and everybody's been calling for him to step down, and he won't. And he just continues to fucking post pictures on his goddamn Facebook of him, like, hanging out with, like... Racist old ladies on Cherokee Street. Racist old ladies and little kids. And he shouldn't be near little kids. He's a... He's a rapist. Fucking rapist. He shouldn't be near women either. Yeah. He shouldn't be near anybody. Anyway, speaking of rapists, what other news did we have to touch on today, Oliver? We were also going to talk about Bill Cosby's new trial. There's another rapist on trial. And it's Bill Cosby. His retrial is happening right now after his first trial in June of 2017, right? I don't know. I don't remember when the first trial was. I think it was June, June of 2017. Um, his first trial ended in a hung jury. So he's being retried, and there's just a few big differences between this new trial and the first trial. And today, the day we're recording this podcast, April 13th, is the day that Andrea Constand, his main accuser, the one that they're actually like prosecuting him for the rape of her, it took the stand today. So shout out to Andrea Constand. Hey, Andrea. Hero of the pod. Hero of the pod. Just Can I just tell you guys that she has a white blazer on? And a yellow shirt. She's in a power suit. She looks great. She looks strong. She looks ready. She does. All right. Um, it's the second time within a year that she will be testifying against him. And I'm going to quote some information from a Vulture article that was published today. Accuser Andrea Constant takes the stand in Cosby retrial for the first time by Natalie Hope McDonald. So almost 60 women 
have accused Cosby of sexual misconduct. And the first trial ended in a hung jury last June. Yeah. So in her testimony, the former basketball player recounted the night in 2004. This is Andrea. She was a basketball player. When she was invited to Cosby's suburban Philadelphia home, a night that would not only change the course of her life, blah, blah, blah. So she said today that Cosby gave her a pill he said would ease her allergies. She said she trusted Cosby and thought of him as a mentor, so she took the pill. It wasn't until she began feeling groggy that she knew something was wrong. She then recalled being touched by the comedian who was then in his late 60s. Her story echoes that of each woman who took the stand this week, all of whom included the alleged use of pills and booze and ended in cloudy recollections of rape. Andrea, 45, said that at one point during the evening in question, Cosby inserted his fingers into her vagina and placed her hand on his penis. It's the exact same testimony she gave at the first trial. Much like the other four women who testified this week, Constance said that she was unable to stop the alleged assault and her body felt paralyzed. She said she couldn't fight him off. Okay, so there's two major differences between this trial and the first trial. So the first big difference is that before, in the first trial, only one other woman was allowed to testify that Cosby had raped her. Whereas in this trial, four other women have been allowed to testify that Cosby raped them. Even though they're only prosecuting Cosby for Andrea's rape. And the biggest difference between Andrea and the other women is that Andrea received a $3.4 million settlement from Cosby. And the retrial this week is the first time the settlement and the sum was officially made public. And the defense attorney for Cosby has just, like, jumped on this opportunity to discredit Andrea and make her out to be this greedy gold digger who, like, seduced poor old confused Bill and had sex with him and then cried rape in order to get the payout. Charming. Yeah, it's great. They're saying that uh, while Cosby was foolish to have a relationship... As a married man, it doesn't make him criminal. Well, <laughs> it does because it was rape. So there's that. It's still a crime. So the other difference in this trial is that the defense is allowed, has been allowed to bring one of their key witnesses, Marguerite Jackson, a former co-worker of, of Andrea's at Temple University. So in the first trial... Jackson was not allowed to testify. In this trial, Jackson is going to be allowed to testify, and she says that Andrea told her she wanted to accuse a celebrity of rape so she could get a big payday. And Jackson was not permitted to testify in the first trial because Andrea said that she didn't even know her. And I feel like it's hearsay. Isn't it hearsay? Saying, like... Oh, well, she told me that... She told me that she wanted a payoff. It's like, who the fuck is this bitch? How is that evidence? I don't know. Oh, and then they're going to do the thing. They did this last time, too, where they're like, well, you still called him after the alleged assault, so he must not have actually raped you. Oh. <laughs> okay. But, like, he, this is the thing that Cosby does. This he, is like his, he, like, grooms his them. His M.O. Yeah, this is his M.O. Like, he grooms them, he, sometimes for years. I remember reading an article years ago that was, like, oh, this woman talking about how, you know, she was, like, an actress, and she had, like, all of these big dreams, and he took her under his wing, and he, like, took her to places, and, met, like, she met people that he knew, and she thought he was great and like she wanted she had these like father abandonment issues and she really wanted him to be like her dad and like so did everybody at the time it was like the 90s and like everybody wanted like Mr. Huxtable to be their dad you know and that was what made it like so that much more heartbreaking and and a bit like such a betrayal that um that he ended up uh, like roofing her and eventually, I think, came after her with, like, a belt later. Like, because she woke up in the middle of it or something and, like, started screaming and, like, trying to leave. And he, like, took his belt off and was, like, gonna... Was, like, threatening her physically. Like, with violence. Or, I don't know. A different kind of violence. I mean, he... We know, We all know. We all know what he is. Yeah. So, enough said. 
or not enough said. There could never be enough said about it. He's a rapist. But if you, <laughs> but of course you call them later because you like even though like I mean this I happened. remember I remember during the first trial like listening to her in an interview and she was like yeah I called him I didn't remember what had happened and I really loved and respected him and I wanted to give him an opportunity to like explain it to me. Yeah, I mean yeah. It's just like you try to repair a relationship that you don't really realize yet is beyond repair. Or was never a relationship. Yeah, but you don't realize that yet because they've lied to you. And you always blame yourself. You're like, what did I do? Well, they've made it like that. They they want you to do that. They No, I was telling I was telling up that way. I was telling a friend of mine at work earlier today, we were talking about the Bill Cosby thing, and I was like, the thing that makes it so easy for them to play the victim is that in their minds, they are the victim. They are. My father, I was telling her, like, I haven't spoken to my father in years, but I know what he says about me to other people. And he says that I'm smart and beautiful and that I'm crazy. But for saying that he raped me, that I'm crazy. But he's such a good person that he forgives me for that. And if I ever went to him and apologized and asked his forgiveness, he would forgive me. Hmm. I know he says that to people. And he's like, I'm going to do everything I can to be there for her. I know he says that to people. Oh, my God. And I also know that he shoved his dick in my two-year-old vagina. But, like, in, her, in his mind, he's, like, two people, you know? That's how I know that Bill Cosby can be everybody's daddy. My daddy was great when he was great. Mm-hmm. And then when he was a rapist, he was a fucking rapist. Right. And they just turn like that. They're two-faced. It's Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Yeah. It's disgusting. And yeah. people who haven't been subjected to this kind of behavior, they just don't know. And they think that you're crazy because they think that that's a crazy thing to say about a, a person because no one would be like that except that there are people like that. They are like that. But they, and have, such crazy. A, they have such a good mask. They only do it to the people that they're doing it to. You know, they only show that the rapist side of themselves or the abuser side of themselves to their victims. And then to everybody else, they're the nicest guy in the world. Anybody that met my dad would tell me he was the nicest guy in the world. Yeah. You have such a great dad. Strangers in the street have overheard conversations I had with my dad on the phone when I was still talking to him. And they would come up to me and be like, you, you need to appreciate your dad more. And I would be like, you have no fucking idea what you're talking about. Yeah. Anyway, always, it always comes back to me and my problems <laughs> here on Survivor Team Go. Well... I mean, the root of a lot of our social justice is like, it's like rooted in our own trauma. And Everybody is my dad. That's, All the rapists are my dad. That's not unreasonable. That's like a way that, that people are. Yeah. And that's, it's no. not, there's nothing wrong with that. I took a rape defense class in college and at the end of the class, we like, there were a couple of guys that came like all suited out in like. Rapist gear? No, not rapist gear. Like, like, uh, like soft stuff. Oh, padded stuff. Yeah, like padding and stuff so that we could attack them, so we could, like, try out our moves and whatever. And we were all supposed to, like, cheer each other on and get really mad and, like, try to get each other really mad. And so when it got to be my turn, I was like, because I have PTSD pretty bad, so I was like, I don't know if I should do this, but then I did do it. Um, and everybody, and at first I was like, like pulling my punches and everybody was like shouting at me and they were all like, get him, Bailey, get him, get that guy. And then he started to look like my dad and then he started to smell like my dad. And then I started punching him, screaming, I hate you. I hate you. And everybody stopped screaming and there was just like silence. <laughs> <laughs> and then the teacher oh, came no. up and like put her hand on my back a little bit. And she was like, oh, good job, Bailey. <laughs> good work. And I, I sort of like was like, sorry to the guy in the costume because he looked like kind of hurt. I don't know. I felt bad. He was probably mostly like taken aback. I think he was a little bit hurt, like like his feelings. Or I think it's fe- it's yeah. feelings. I don't know. There was a lot of rage there yeah. that he maybe had never experienced. He just, I mean, he didn't have any context for it. Yeah. Anyway, so that was upsetting. Um, he did like stumble backwards though, legitimately, had a lot of anger. He's a big dude. <laughs> this doesn't matter. This is a digression. Do you have anything to add about Bill Cosby? Um, there's the weird racial element. I I don't know how to talk about that. It's, yeah, I don't know. I have to wonder if... Which, to clarify, 
It's that a lot of the girls that he a lot of the groomed and raped, a lot of the women that he groomed and raped were white. Were white. I have to wonder if, like, know. the white women are the ones that have been chosen yeah. to be seen. Or, yeah. By prosecutors and the media. And I also have to Nobody wonder, cares if you rape a black woman. I mean, that's fucking true. That's disgusting. There was a true. Black Panther who, what his goal was to start raping white women as a like a like weird anti-white terrorism, and he practiced on black women, what black the girls, fuck? like black teenage girls. He okay, practiced. well, that's just a serial, a disgusting monster. And he was one of the founders of Black Panther Party, which I mostly like. There's a lot of things about the Black Panther Party that I like. They like they had free lunches and stuff. We can talk anyway. about that in a different it's, episode, um, maybe. Oh, that should you should figure out who that who those girls were, and they can be survivors. Yeah, I should. Yeah, we don't even know who they were. Those girls, those women, those survivors. Yeah. God, we got to give them names. Yeah, I'll look it up. I'll find. I don't even remember his name. Well, we don't have to remember his name. Fuck that guy. Well, I have to remember it so it's that I can figure names, out who they it's are. Their names that matter. I think it's difficult to navigate as a white woman. Definitely not difficult, but like I think that there is among the African-American community a hesitation to, like, call the police on a black man because things are going to be so much worse for them once the police get them. So uh, I know... Oh, e- like even a hesitation on the, ba- on the part of a white on woman. The part of, well, no, on the part of, like, a black woman. Oh. Of, e- yeah. of any black person. Of any black person. Yeah. There's, I mean, like... You can't trust... I know, you, as you a... You can't trust the police ever, but you really a, can't trust the police if you're black. As a working class, as a white person raised in the working class, I was always told never to call the police. Don't trust the police. And that has been true. My incidences with the police, my encounters with the police have all been very negative. Um, They've never helped me. I wouldn't guarantee that they will help any of you out there. They haven't just not helped you. They've, like, threatened you. Yeah. For being a a victim of domestic violence, they've threatened me. So, and that's being a white victim of domestic violence. And I always, as a white woman, hesitate. I always, like, I will call the police on a white dude at the drop of a hat. Like, you fucking look at me wrong. I'm on the phone with the police. That's. That is an exaggeration. But I will call the police on, on yeah, white men. You, I yeah, find threatening. you do. But, like, black men, like, the police are going to come to a white man and they're going to be like, so what's going on here? And then you can leave. Yeah. You know, but they're not going to do that to a black guy. They're going to take him down. And they might kill him. And they might kill him. Yeah. You're putting his life at risk. And you have to think about that every time you think about calling the police. Which is not to say Which we say don't. Which is not something you have to think about. You, I mean, it's yeah. just you have to wait. Like I'm just we're like we're not saying like you listeners should hesitate but to like, call this the police is if not, you're in danger. This is something just, that we we are aware of maybe as like socially conscious white people living in St. Louis, in the Saint heart Louis, of Black Missouri, Lives Matter, the heart of Black Lives Matter. But I do think that this is something that like other white people are less aware of. Yeah, I think so. The reality of, or they don't want to confront it or whatever. Yeah. But this is something that black people live with every day. And I think that you cannot say that black people are, that black culture is, is like, not also a victim of rape culture because it for sure is but like black survivors of rape yeah it's not an oasis where no one gets raped yeah no but black survivors of rape have like so many more challenges and so much fewer resources and so many fewer resources not that there's many resources to begin with i know exactly but it's like it's like not only are you more likely to not be believed and are you more likely to be blamed as a survivor but it's also much more dangerous for you to call the police in order... It's like you can't call the police as de-escalators the way you can as yeah. a white person. Like, I was taught in, like, rape defense classes and stuff that even if the police don't help you, they will de-escalate the situation. So if someone's beating you, you can call the police. They'll stop them from beating you in that moment. And that's not necessarily true for an African-American. No, then you just might... Be they start might, to, they, they might, might beat you. They might they kill might. you. They might beat you. They might tase you just for walking down the fucking street. Like, I've fucking seen it. Yeah. You know? And they're for sure the person that you're calling on, like, what if it's your boyfriend and he's abusing you and you just want to get away from him? You just want to be safe. You don't want him to be dead. 
Yeah. You and like calling the police, he could be dead. Yeah. I don't know. That's what I think about when I see like only white women are victims of Bill Cosby. I'm like, well, I think it's just harder for the black women to come forward. Yeah. Rapists are rapists. On that cheerful note, we had one more uh, Survivor News thing to discuss with you guys. We wanted to talk about uh, Juno Diaz's recent essay in The New Yorker, the May, April, May 2018 edition of The New Yorker. I want to go buy a paper copy of that and have it forever. Yeah. Because it's beautiful. We probably could we find one at the Walgreens or something. I was looking at the Walgreens and I didn't see it. Oh, I don't know. Where, the Barnes & Noble somewhere? I'm sure. The, I bet the bookstore down the street has it. This article is called The Silence, The Legacy of Childhood Trauma. And um, I found it uh, on my Facebook feed because I follow Color Lines and they wrote an article that was about the essay. And then I was like, I don't want to read about this essay. I want to read the essay. So I read it. And it's it's really, I really, I, I've only read uh, like, like one book by Juno Diaz and I actually really liked it. It was The Brief Wondrous Life of Oscar Wow. Um, and it was, uh, was kind of weird, kind of nerdy. It was very lyrical and sort of poetic, and I really liked it. Um, and he said a few things that I thought have been really interesting about, like, like here and there that I found. Um, but, yeah, but this article I just thought was really beautiful and, like, heartbreaking and a little bit... Uh, 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 selfish when it comes to how he describes his relation with with his girlfriends, but also like kind of understandable, like because he's like, no, I just mean like like he talks about like he can't have. No, yeah, I don't mean like no, che- like no, he cheats so... on his girlfriends, and you're like, oh well, that's not great. But like he also is like, let's so talk the... about the good things first. So he starts it. It's addressed to not even someone that he knows. It's addressed to somebody who came to a book signing one time and asked him, oh, you have this character who was uh, sexually abused as a child. Did that, did that happen to you? And he kind of was like, no, and then moved on to the next person. And this person who asked the question, he, he, he observed that they, you know, they had been really quiet and intense and they hadn't, hadn't talked to anybody else in line. And then when they seemed really disappointed when he said that he hadn't, that he, like when he said no um, and moved on and they seemed like they looked sort of abandoned because they knew, they could, I'm sure they could tell that he was, you know, um, defensive at least. Okay, I'm going to quote, read a quote from the article about this. So it's Juno Diaz and he's talking about the person that asked him the question and he says, out of the corner of my eye I watched you pick up your backpack slowly put away your books and leave. When the signing was over, I couldn't get the fuck away from Amherst, from you and your question, fast enough. I ran the way I've always run, like death itself was chasing me. For a couple of days afterward, I fretted. I worried that I'd given myself away. But then the old oblivion reflex took over. I pushed it all down, buried it all, like always. But I never really did forget, not our exchange or your disappointment, how you walked out of the auditorium with your shoulders hunched. I know this is years too late, but I'm sorry I didn't answer you. I'm sorry I didn't tell you the truth. I'm sorry for you, and I'm sorry for me. We both could have used that truth, I'm thinking. It could have saved me, and maybe you, from so much. But I was afraid. I'm still afraid. My fear like continents in the ocean between. But I'm going to speak anyway, because, as Audrey Lord has taught us, my silence will not protect me. Yes, it happened to me. I was raped when I was eight years old by a grown-up that I truly trusted. After he raped me, he told me I had to return the next day or I would be in trouble. And because I was terrified and confused, I went back the next day and was raped again. I never told anyone what happened, but today I'm telling you and anyone else who cares to listen. So I'm like crying again. Yeah. It's so... This line in here... um... There's a lot of stuff in here that reminds me of, of you, Bailey. There's um, a lot of stuff in here that reminds me of me, too. That reminds me of like what you've talked about. He, ta- he says, um, and there's stuff that I relate to, too. Um, but um, he says, uh, he's talking about, he says, um, the kid before, hard to remember, trauma is a time, travel, an or- t- time traveler, an Ouroboros that reaches back and devours everything that came before. Only fragments remain. 
And I know I've heard you talk about how you you don't really remember being a child. Well, I like can't, I can't even like, you know how you remember things and you see them from your perspective? You like remember them in third person. I, I like can. Like from outside of yourself. Yeah, I can like, it's like I'm an adult version of me who's like a ghost. And I can like remember things as though I'm like looking at myself like in the corner of the room but I can't remember them like from my perspective for like most of my childhood except for like tiny little flashes yeah he talks about not being able to look at himself in the mirror he talks about the rage and the depression he talks about the nightmares where he got raped by like his siblings his father his teachers strangers kids he wanted to be friends with that that actually was something that I was like, oh, I know that. Yeah. And that's, I didn't know why, and I still don't know why. Well, you think, you think like, there's something wrong with you. You're having all these dreams where people that you trust are raping you. But, like, someone that you trust raped you. Yeah, and I've, I've had those dreams. I've had those dreams, too. And I don't know if I was ever uh, sexually abused as a child. But there's that. I just, I don't know. I don't remember it. If it did happen. Or, like, there was one thing that I do remember, but it wasn't, I don't know, I wasn't raped in that particular instance. I mean, I don't remember necessarily being, like, raped. Like, what does that even mean? Like, penetration? Like, do I remember my dad's dick going into me? Not really. I don't remember. Like, I mean, I just don't remember any, any like, nudity <laughs> ever happening. I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean I didn't know anything. what testicles were until... I saw them in paintings. Okay, well... So that's a good sign, you can, probably. You can pull your dick out without pulling your testicles out. That's I don't true. Know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I want to... I don't know. It, I don't this is say, not a detective I don't, case. I don't, don't, don't want to say, like, what your experiences are. I have some symptoms that are similar, or, like, some, like, after-effects sort of stuff that are similar to, like, child abuse, child sexual abuse and survivors, but I don't. I don't... I don't have anything to pin it to, really. It's like a mystery that you have to unpick. It's a horrible, horrible mystery, and I, I'm just sort of and letting you have it. To put the pieces of your shattered mind back together. I'm just sort of letting it float for now. Memories and fight through the brain fog and be like, wait, why do I have all these horrible feelings? Yeah, why and the did, one why thing. Why are all my relationships failures? Why did one, Why did I cry the time that guy tried to hold my hand in sixth grade? Yeah. Um. So this, you know, brought up a lot of feelings. For, for us. both of us, yeah, and I and this I article. get the like feeling, uh, like feeling like excluded from being a man because you were raped, yeah. Like, which I feel like is a really, really common thing for any man who's ever been raped, um, because you're not that's like an unmasculine thing to be raped, I, um, <laughs> which is a real shitty problematic thing that kind of seeps in without like even I'm like oh, I've always been a feminist since I was a baby I was a feminist I was like a but it's there lurking yeah people won't see me as a man if I say I was raped I mean it's a it's a very uh it's a burden of women right yeah it's so like it's such it's a gendered gen- it's female a, it's a gender like this is the thing <laughs> rape is not about love it's not about sex it's about control and it's tends to be culturally used as a way to control women in the context of patriarchal society. It's a weapon. White supremacist patriarchal capitalism. Yeah. The white supremacist capitalist patriarchy in which we exist. Yeah. We stole that from um, a different podcast, a podcast called Tea with Queen and Jay. Shout out to Queen and Jay. I haven't listened to I have only listened to like two episodes. I like them though. Anyway, but it's since it's such like a gender specific mode of like attack and control, it's like guerrilla warfare, you know, yeah. like rape is used in, as a guerrilla warfare tactic. And there's this very effective, pervasive culture of silence around it yeah. that makes it very difficult to combat. It's very, yeah. it's, it's very insidious. It's very smart. I mean, this is, yeah, the culture of silence is like, it's definitely, if one thing unites us all, it's not our experiences. It's the silence. The silence and the shame. This, well, the silence and the shame go hand in hand, you know? Yeah. They're, like, I mean, they're the same tool. They're the same weapon. I literally thought that if people found out that I was a survivor before I disclosed, that I literally thought that I would just die. 
that I would like spontaneously combust, you know, that I would like just, I don't know, stop existing. The world would end. And I literally thought that. Like my whole world was riding on no one ever knowing. And that's what Juno Diaz says in his in his essay too. Yeah. Basically, like he's the mask was the only thing keeping him together. He was yeah. gonna kill himself and then he and got then into he, college. And then he realizes that it's not doing anything for him. And it's not. It never helps you. It does not help you. It destroyed all you of his relationships. Think, you think it's helping you. You think you think it's the only thing keeping you together. And it's like a fucking chain around your neck. It's it's keeping it's the power. They don't the power they have over you is in the silence. It's in your complicity. And that's what is so like I think my favorite thing about this article is how much Juno talks about how how he let down the people that asked him what had happened to him by lying and saying that nothing had happened to him, how he let them down. And that is like, for me, is very key because I'm like, the only way to end, end the culture of rape is to end the culture of silence. Like literally the only thing we can do is just be like, me too. Hashtag me too. Hashtag me too. Like, I really don't want that to be just like a flash in the pan. You know, I really hope this isn't just like a. And it's not just like about workplace sexual People harassment. Talk about how it's a moment. And like, it's not a moment. Like, this is our time. This is like for centuries this has been going on. This is a. And this is this is a this is our this is our fucking time, you guys. There's so many people who have end this to take the power back. Nick can't do anything to me anymore. He can't. He can't. And for years, I let him keep his power because I kept the silence. I was complicit in what he did to me. I felt like it was just as much my fault as it was his. But it's not. That's true. It's not. You can. You can. End it. Yeah. You just can't. The power, you have the power. You give them the power or you give yourself the power. And Juno Diaz is giving himself the power. He's standing up and he's saying on behalf of everyone, for anyone that cares to listen, I am so scared. And my whole life was built on this lie. My whole life was built on this mask. But it's not just about me. It's about us. It's about you, the person he's addressing, the person who came to the signing, the person who asked him, did this happen to you? The person who's reading the the article. And the person who's reading the article and the person who came to him and said, oh, came to talk to him about a a character in one of his books who had been like horribly, violently, sexually abused all her life, a single mother who'd been raped a lot. Mm -hmm. And she says, she comes to him and she says, you know, I really love your this this protagonist Bailey Bailey uh, Bailey. Uh, Bailey. My, I don't know how to pronounce it. It's B L B E L I. Um, and then she says, "You know, my life has been a lot like Bailey's," and then bursts into tears and can't speak anymore. You know, it's for her. It's for this person he addresses as the um, ex. Uh, and it's for it, it, like there's a like a meta textual thing where it's for the readers. It's it's for us. We are that person who approached him at the book signing. Anybody who's uh, reading this, who who needs, uh, you know, needs this, uh, could use this disclosure from him the, to as a way to help empower them too to end the, the silence. Okay, I found this quote. Sorry, while you were talking, I was looking for the belly quote. For the belly quote. Oh, good. I had a life a lot like bellies. The young woman said, and then without warning, she choked into tears. She wanted to say more to me, but before she could, she was overwhelmed and fled. I could have tried to stop her. I could have called after her. Me too. Me too. I could have said the words, I was also raped, but I didn't have the courage. I turned to the next person in line and smiled. And you know what? It felt good to be behind the mask. It felt like home. Oh, there's another really good part. Oh, and then he quotes Toni Morrison. Like, Oh, what? yeah. Uh, he quotes Audre Lorde, and then he quotes Toni Morrison. And I'm like, yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, he quotes Toni Morrison... Anything dead coming back to life hurts. Oh, it's such a good quote, too. I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. No, it was really good. In Spanish, we say that when a child is born, it is given the light. And that's what it feels like to say the words. Like I'm being given a second chance at the light. He uh, he also quotes Jane Eyre, which I had to look up to figure out that he was doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but he says um, he's talking about a time when he was really depressed, when he was talking to his therapist about what happened to him, finally. He says, I'd always assumed that if I ever returned to that place, that island where I'd been shipwrecked, I would never escape. I'd be dragged down and destroyed. And yet, irony of ironies, what awaited me on that island was not my description, but nearly the opposite, my salvation. During that time, I wrote very little. Mostly I underlined passages in my favorite books. This line in particular, I circled at least a dozen times. Quote, then darkness took me, and I strayed out of thought and time, and I wandered far on roads that I will not tell. Unquote. And then there was a section from my own novel. Before All Hope died, I used to have this stupid dream that shit could be saved, that we would be in bed together like the old times with the fan on, the smoke from our weed drifting above us, and I'd finally try to say words that could, could have saved us. And there's three lines, three words that are not revealed. But before I can shape the vowels, I wake up. My face is wet, and that's how you know it's never going to come true. Never, ever. I had a lot of questions about what those three words were, because I don't think it was like... I love, I love you. you. Yeah. yeah, that's not the words that could have saved them. I mean... I think it was... I was raped. I was raped, yeah. Maybe. But I don't know. It's unclear. I know. But I feel like the words that could have saved a relationship where there's, like, lying and cheating is more... There's a bad thing. I don't know that it could have saved anything. And this brings us but to it's the a, problem yeah. with this article. <laughs> which is that... He's nothing, real shitty to his girlfriends. He's real shitty to his girlfriends. And nothing could have saved any of those relationships. And he didn't, wasn't a rapist. No, no, it's not, not even that. like it's not that. anything like no. that. Just a regular sort of asshole. No, like, but I don't even, yes, I don't know. I think that he just, I think that the way that he thinks of, it seems to me. He expects God. these women to heal him. Exactly. It's the expectation. And and I've been thinking a lot about this. I've been thinking a lot about this ever since I read this article. And I think a lot because I really, really understand. And I really, I feel like he was really, he was speaking to me. You know, whether he could like r- realize that or not, that he would be like speaking to some like 20 something year old fucking white girl from the suburbs. He, like everything he said was an echo of my experiences, including the way he talked about women, you know, because all of the relationships that I, and I have never been in a committed romantic relationship with anyone ever in my life, and let alone a sexual relationship. And I, every single one that I've considered entering into, I chose not to because I thought I could see this person as somebody who would like save me. And I was like, that's not right. Nobody can save you but you. You know, and it's like you're drowning and you claw somebody against you and then you both drown. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like you can't. I don't know. And I kind of feel like that's what he was doing in all of his relationships, except there's I don't know that he ever addresses, you know, and I think that the article does seem to me to be like, in a way, an apology to all of these women. Right, he like lists everyone by like the letter, a letter. But like they're anonymous. He doesn't list them by name. But he's like, this is when I met you, and these are the things we did, and this is how I cheated on you, and how I was terrible. And I don't know if he. And ever it says, definitely does I'm portray sorry. him in a like yeah, a bad light. It doesn't. Light, it doesn't say he's that, like a hero for it. No, no. And or, and I'm not. I think it was a beautiful article. And I think it was really brave. But I don't know that he. And maybe he does understand He's, this. And he this says that he does it he because of... He talks so much about how he cheats on them because of his pain or whatever. And I'm like, well, but she, that's not an excuse. And I don't know if he thinks it is. It's unclear. I don't know. Yeah, I guess. I just... He's just like, oh, I'm suffering so much and I can't commit to this relationship, but I'm going to keep being in it and then while I'm in it I'm going to fuck all these other women because I have trouble with emotional commitment but I still expect you to heal me. Yeah. And I think that that's like really That's pretty shitty. Shitty. And I think it's really like And he seems to recognize that it's shitty but I don't know if he I recognizes also, how shitty. He talks a lot about how he's a survivor but he doesn't talk about his but girlfriends he doesn't talk about might or might not be. They might yeah. or might not be survivors. Yeah. And I feel like that I feel like a lot of them, a lot of the people that have approached me and been like, and like that I've really like honestly considered dating have also been survivors. And they like really like wanted to save me in the same way that like 
his girlfriends, he, he makes it sound like maybe wanted to try to save him or whatever. And I was like, it's not going to work. And I don't think it, it would have worked. I don't know. But it just made me think that how many of these girls that he's like, oh, I was sexually abused and I never told you. And so you never could have been able to save me. Like how many of them were sexually abused? Yeah. Because I think pro- like one in three women are sexually abused before the age of 18. And that's like underreported. Yeah. And like in the black community, those numbers are higher without question. Yeah. And these women that he's dating, he calls them like they're like his African sisters or something. They're like Afro-Latina. Yeah. I think some of them. He makes it he makes it very clear in context that they are they're women of color. Women of color. And I feel like that just makes the likelihood that they are survivors of childhood sexual abuse that much higher, of any kind of sexual abuse. So I was just a little bit frustrated. The more marginalized you are, the more likely you are to be raped. Yeah, because it's about power and control. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, I really think that we need to have a bigger conversation about like men being survivors of rape and abuse. Yes. But I really think that we can't do that at the expense of female survivors. Yes. And we yes. so often when we do have like a pretty good conversation about men being survivors and not just as saying like, so stop talking about it because like a way yeah. to silence women. Yeah. Like it's still used to silence women because they're, it's like I mean, very oblivious to. Yeah. I hear, I hear a lot of times when you're talking about male survivors of rape, I hear like, it was so much harder for men to come forward. And it's like really hard to come forward regardless. Yeah. Like, and I feel like that's such a dangerous, just like making any comparison like that, saying that it's harder for anyone to come forward than anyone else. Even though I literally was making that point earlier, saying it's harder for women of color to come forward than white women. And I agree with that as well. I think that's true. I don't, I don't know. It's, it's so hard for everyone. It's it's a very it's a very gendered like sort of thing to happen and I feel I just I just think that I don't know. But also like LGBTQA like it's almost like if you're a, you, a gay man then it's like almost like you're asking to be raped. Like or that's what people think. Yeah. Exactly. And like if you're a, like But like if you if want you're to like talk a, about dismissing if you're like, certain people having been raped like gay men, it's like a joke. You're, and if you're like a lesbian and your your female partner is abusive or rapes you, they're like they, not, they're like it's not serious that's a joke. There's no penis. Yeah, they're yeah. like that's a joke too because it doesn't count. What did she rape you with her fingers? Yes. Yes, she did. What if she did? What if she, what if that is in what in fact what happened? I wasn't like when I was raped. I wasn't penetrated. Like that's not what happened to me. But it was still rape. But it was still rape. Wasn't that used against you? Like as a way to say, oh, it's it was not really used rape. against a friend of mine. I I struggled for a long time to uh, call it rape, because and not because of the penetration, because I was like, no, it was fully sex. Like, but because um, there was a um, a lot of complicated feelings that I had around it because she, this person who raped me, was uh, a fellow trans person. She was a woman. She was a trans woman, and that's a really like, harmful, pervasive, insidious, horrible horrible stereotype of trans women that they are sexual predators. That they're like secret rapists who are just trying to get in with women to get better access. Or to get in to, to like trick a guy into having sex with them. A straight, like a straight man, whatever. Um, but I, I was raped by her. Like she yeah. did. Like yeah. I said, I wasn't interested. I said that she, we could she stay, she was visiting me. I don't know. She was one of my first like friends who was like trans. I like trusted her. Um, I was in a really vulnerable place. I was really depressed. I was still identifying as genderqueer, but like more and more identifying as male more often and like really struggling to get, like I wasn't getting any validation from my parents and like that was really hard for me. And she was kind of like, fuck them, you know, you are trans. And that was cool um, to hear and really validating. And um, I thought she was really brave for like being trans in defiance of like her, uh, what her parents thought or whatever. You know, there's a lot of stuff. And I said I wasn't interested, but I like when I finally like met her in person because I kind of, she was a friend of a friend and I met her on, like kind of talked with her on Skype. And then uh, she visited me and um, I was like, oh, okay, you can like still stay here and stay the night. And there was just the one, you know, college dorm bed. And yeah, and then she was like sort of, like caressing me and initiating things and I was just finally like kind of like well I mean this seems like it's important to her or whatever and like I guess it's fine it'll be fun 
like we'll have sex. It's it's you know it's fine. And then I w- it was horrible. It was like I was trying to hide it because I didn't want to hurt her feelings. But it was really kind of I was like alternately like bored and really uncomfortable and just didn't like it. I was really. And then it and then there, there was another time too at her house when I was like <sighs> um, stopped by and visited for a while. I don't know. It sucked, and I didn't want to have sex, and then I, we did have sex, and so... And then I stopped having sex after that, pretty much. I, like, had, tried a couple of times, and then I've stopped enjoying it entirely. Like, I just don't want to have sex with people. I'm too scared. It's, like, too big of a trust issue. I can't do it. Like, I just... I really... I kind of miss it. It was really fun when I was younger. When I was, like, a teenager, I, like, would make out with people and fool around, and when I was in college, I would do the same thing, and it was really great. And I don't, like, I don't want to do that anymore. And that's, like... That's too bad. Pancake. My cat Pancake just swatted at my other cat, Evie. Unprovoked attack. Pancake, will you chirp for the microphone? We'll see see if that picked it up at all. The saddest little little meow. I don't know if you could hear that. but Anyway, that got way more into our personal stories than I... um, Realized it would, although well, that's what happened. Makes sense. Yeah, it was a really good uh, essay. Yeah, it was very. It was really powerful. It was really honest. It's real honest. And it was really. Um, and we were trying to return the favor. It was honest. Also being honest. And it was. Um, um, what is the word that I'm looking for? Problematic. No. Yeah. Heartbreaking. No. Don't good. suggest words. I'm gonna remember it. It was um, generous. Yeah. It was honest. And it was generous. It was very kind. And it was vulnerable. It was a radically vulnerable. It was radically vulnerable. And radical vulnerability is something that we firmly believe in here at Survivor Team Go. It is part of We're our... We're just going to rip our chests open and rip our beating hearts out and shove them in your face and be like, look. Look, look at, at this how heart. vulnerable I am. This is our... Uh, I don't care if it makes you uncomfortable. Yeah. But it's for... Those of you that need it. Okay. Well, that this has been Survivor Team Go. Um, Listeners, there's a war going on. Well, I did. I did oh. want to say real quick that we are. If you've made it this far, we want to hear from you. We do want to hear from you. We want to hear your are survivor you, story. Are you a biker against child abuse? <laughs> are you a, ch- a survivor of childhood sexual abuse? Are you a survivor of a suicide attempt? Did you get lost in the woods one time and you made your way out? It doesn't have to be horrible. <laughs> <laughs> Did you survive a horrible car crash or drug addiction? Yeah, drug addiction. Were you in a war? I guess. Did your house burn down? <laughs> um, are you a refugee? Yeah, are you a refugee? From whatever. Monsoons. Prison. Flooding. War. Global Climate change. Imperialization. Um, being kidnapped. Uh, just anything. Anything you feel like you've survived and you want to tell your story, we would be happy to hear from you. And we would love to just like be able to feature the stories of not just famous survivors, but our friends. Real survivors. Our and friends, our listeners. Our listeners. Because everybody's story is just as important as everybody else's. We love you. And we're here for you. We love you guys. And we want to hear from you. you. And we want we want to break the silence together. We want to do it together. Because there's a war going on out there. Our email address oh. where you can reach us. <laughs> I'm jumping the gun. To tell us your survivor story. Our is email address is survivor Survivor Team Go at gmail.com. At gmail.com. So it's just the name of the podcast at gmail.com. And we can, like, put that in the show notes, question mark, looking at Oliver. We can put that in the show notes, kind of. Oh, the puppy's having a dream. She's chasing something. She's chasing a puppy. Oh, her little feet are moving. She's running. You're on a, you're not alone anymore. You're on a team now. You're with us. You're on our team now. Welcome to the Survivor Team. There's a war going on out there. And in the immortal words of Audrey Lord, your silence will not protect you. Oh, and this is just a, a fan cast of, of the Survivor Reality TV this show. This is a fan cast of Survivor Reality TV show. Join they, us next we're, time. We're kicking, we're kicking, we're kicking uh, we're Pancake off the island. <laughs> Bonnie off the island for, um, for not catching enough fish. 
She didn't catch enough fish. She didn't. There are challenges, right? She didn't do the challenge. She didn't catch enough fish in the fish catching challenge, probably. I. I'm we never watched that show. I've never I've watched seen Survivor. An episode, maybe. I've never watched it. It's not. It. I don't know. I don't I remember don't know it either. This is one of those jokes that we're just going to keep telling. Every time. And it's going to get... It's going to get less and less funny. Get, no, it's going to get less funny, but then it's going to get to that point where it gets really funny, <laughs> and then it gets less funny, and then it... Like Tignataro. Yeah, like Tignataro, <laughs> where you just keep going, and then yeah. at the end, it's like hysterical. Eventually, it'll be funny again. At episode, like, 400, people will just oh be God. dying. <laughs> okay, never mind, you guys. We have opinions about comedy. We're going to start another comedy. Badly formed opinions about comedy. We're going to start another comedy podcast, or another podcast that's like a comedy review podcast called No But. Obviously, (laughs) we are hilarious. Obviously. (laughs) This whole podcast is, by the way, a comedy podcast. It's not. It's not. It's not. We wanted it to be. It's not going to be. No. It's fine. It's okay. It's hard to make rape jokes and still be like a good person. Bye.